Welcome to BIB Today. We're the daily business news podcast from the Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIB.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. It's summer, which means offices across the province are likely sprinkled with eager young interns looking to make their mark in the professional world. But what should employers know before taking on an intern to help fill in? Joining us on today's show is employment lawyer Leslie Whitaker. She's from Boughton Law, and she's going to break down some of the most common problems employers and interns face. Later on, SFU professor Gerardo Otero is going to join us from the School for International Studies. He's going to walk us through Canada's busy summer ahead for trade negotiations. But first, here's lawyer Leslie Whitaker from Boughton Law. Young people facing a lot of pressure to boost their resumes with hands-on work experience through, say, an internship. But before businesses take on these interns, both parties are often in the dark about everything from liability to compensation to insurance. And joining us today to shed some light on this, it's Leslie Whitaker. She's an employment lawyer over at Embouton Law. Leslie, thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, thank you. So what are some of the common misperceptions that businesses have about taking on interns? Well, first of all, sometimes employers think that when they use the term intern or internship, uh, that that's something different than employment. Um, But actually, most uh, people who are taken on as interns uh, to do an internship uh, are actually considered employees under the BC Employment Standards Act, and uh, employers have all the same legal obligations to uh, those interns as they do to employees. And so what does that mean in terms of a framework? Uh, for uh, for employment, does that mean your hours have to be, you know, have to be regular? Do you have to have uh, some degree of compensation at some point? What what does that all entail? Yeah, so that means that all of the basic minimum standards set for employees also have to apply uh, to that intern. So that includes, yes, um, you know, hours of work, uh, breaks overtime and overtime pay, vacation pay, and of course, minimum wage. Uh, they must be paid minimum wage, which as of June 1st, and BC is now twelve sixty-five an hour. So has there been a bit of a conflation with regards to the just the term intern to maybe co-op student to just employee just over the years? Because I, I also understand that there's going to be a bit of a difference if like a student needs to come in and get some credits as part of maybe their post-secondary education. Right, that's true. So a co-op student or um, another student who's doing something like a practicum, uh, which is you know hands-on training or work experience that's actually part of uh, an educational curriculum, uh, and usually uh, or it always has to result uh, in a certificate or a diploma or a degree, and that work experience is required. Uh, and so that, of course, uh, since they're getting credit through the uh, educational system, that doesn't have to be paid, and they're not considered employees. Do we suspect in this province that we have a lot of uh, free internships taking place still in our economy? Well, I'd say I'm not really able to speculate on that. Uh, I, you know, I have heard a lot of young people, uh, you know, come out with their degrees and are looking for work experience. Uh, but anyone who's searching for work experience should know and be aware that they are entitled to all the minimum standards in BC. And uh, employers should also be very aware uh, that 
people can't contract out of those minimum standards. So even if they come to an agreement with uh, someone to work for free, that's not actually legal uh, and the employer still has all the same legal obligations under the Act as they would to any other employee. But it's still a very sticky situation. I remember getting out of journalism school myself a couple years ago. And if I wanted to get experience, a lot of editors might be reluctant to start just paying a guy out of the blue. And and so, you know, I I won't name names, but there were a couple newspapers where maybe I would work for free pizza on election night or something like that. Is there a lot of pressure, especially in the city of Vancouver, where you got a very high cost of living for I guess young people to kind of find the, the right balance to actually get that work experience, whereas you know, you don't necessarily want to ruffle any feathers when you have somebody who's willing to take you on for free. So as I said, I mean, again, I, I can't speculate quite on uh, the, the position of a lot of young people graduating today. Uh, I know I was once there as well. Um, but uh, again, it's certainly a liability for employers uh, to take on these people for free because even like if something goes sideways, um, you know, maybe they don't get along with the intern, uh, then that person can make a claim against them in the employment standards branch uh, and get back all of their owed wages and vacation pay and overtime pay and all those things. Uh, Not to mention if a person is successful in their employment standards claim, then uh, there's also uh, monetary penalties uh, aside from just the wages that are owed uh, that must be paid by the employer. It, maybe it's my age, but I do remember a time when you really didn't call these people interns. What you called them were summer students or summer workers uh, and that right. kind of thing. And and the summer worker did have um, a pretty clear line of support uh, legally in order to do this. Did, did, did something happen along the way here where the term intern encroached and employers began to take perhaps some advantage of it? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's true that as much in the beginning, you know, some businesses may think that if they uh, don't say the word employee, then uh, they aren't being held to uh, certain laws or standards. Um, but the the BC uh, Employment Standards Interpretation Manual does talk about what an internship is, uh, and they do note that uh, usually it's people who have completed degrees and that they're looking for work experience, uh, and that if they're doing work. So, you know, labor or services that any other employee would do for an employer, then they are employees and it doesn't matter what you call it. So then moving forward, what do businesses really have to prioritize when it comes to finding that right balance between, you know, and it's tough because, of course, we have a lot of workers that are leaving for the summer. They're going on a summer vacation. Are they going to have to make sure that they are, I guess, budgeting for this in a way that they did not necessarily do just years ago? Well, I mean, they've always been required to pay minimum wage, uh, even if they, you know, were calling people interns a few years ago and not paying them. Uh, I think the best thing for any business is to, uh, you know, follow the minimum standards uh, and treat their employees with respect. Is there um, is there a situation in British Columbia that is different than the rest of the country, or is this nicely standardized across Canada? Each province has slight differences, uh, but as far as I'm aware, all the provinces in Canada do not allow unpaid work, like unpaid internship. Hmm. One of the other things that, that I am curious about is with regards to liability. And let's say a intern is injured on the job. Is it going to be, say, the same liability that uh, an employer would be exposed to if they were, in fact, an employee, as you said earlier? 
Yes, it's exactly the same liability uh, under the Workers' Compensation Act. It's the same thing where uh, it's like if they are an employee, then they are a worker. Uh, and since they are an employee under uh, the Employment Standards Act, they are a worker. Well, going forward, I, I will be sure that if another newspaper ever owes me free pizza on uh, <laughs> on election night, I'll be sure to cash it in. But but I'll, I'll be sure to push ahead with, with uh, the compensation that uh, they should be paying as well. That's right. Get the compensation you deserve. <laughs> uh, pepperoni. And get the pizza. Yeah, and the pizza. Yeah. Don't, don't forget the pizza. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. There we go. Thank you. That's Leslie Whitaker. She's an employment lawyer at Boughton Law. SFU professor Gerardo Otero is going to join us next to talk about Canada's busy summer ahead for trade negotiations. Between escalating trade battles over NAFTA and an incoming populist president in Mexico, Canada is set to have a busy summer. And joining us today to discuss some of these economic shakeups, it is Gerardo Otero. He is a professor at the School for International Studies at Simon Fraser University. Gerardo, great to have you back on the show again. Uh, thank you for having me. So on, on Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO, as maybe I, I'm going to be prone to calling him uh, Might throughout be the day. a little bit simpler, but we'll a little see. easier yeah, for me. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, AMLO, I, I wonder, though, if there actually might be a point of agreement between him and President Donald Trump when we consider labor costs that have been going back and forth in NAFTA negotiations right now. Do you see this as a possibility that the two can come to agreement and boost labor costs in Mexico? Yes, I think that's uh, one of the important points that uh, he has already been uh, uh, speaking about with uh, some of the main people in the business community at a meeting yesterday. Um, There were a couple of of things that uh, were achieved at that meeting uh, in which, uh, you know, the the head of the um, Mexican Business Council committed to supporting AMLA's uh, program uh, that's called uh, uh, youth constructing the future, and it involves <clears throat> a traineeship or an apprentice program for 2.6 million uh, Mexican uh, youth to be uh, appointed in in uh, companies in businesses uh, with uh, tutors, and uh, they will be getting a certificate uh, after the completion of that. And these can be done while they're studying. And these students are also going to get fellowships to study. So basically, uh, I guess the goal is to retain as much of of, uh, the labor force in Mexico so that would uh, um, try to mitigate the the migration issue, which is, I mean, it's not that much more of an issue after 2011, but, you know, that's one of the, the concerns. I mean, what Lopez Obrador would want is for people to not have to migrate, to not have to leave their families and communities, but migrate only if it is their choice, not by economic force. We can see how this would obviously uh, be something that Donald Trump would support, that he wouldn't want labor costs to be so much lower in Mexico to make the American worker uncompetitive in a certain sense, or American labor uncompetitive. Does it not, though, also hold the possibility, uh, Gerardo, that um, that then products coming back into the United States will be more costly and that the American consumer might pay the price? Well, uh, eventually, uh, costs might might uh, go up, prices might go up, 
But uh, there's also the, the other point that perhaps uh, more jobs will be staying in the United States. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, what's happened in, in Mexico is uh, pretty tragic because the promise in 1983, prior to signing NAFTA, the promise from former President uh, Carlos Salinas de Gortari, was that uh, I mean he proposed this deal uh, of the three presidents or the prime minister and and the other two presidents, and the goal was to allow Mexico to join the first world. To, uh, you know, the, the expectation was that there was, was going to be an upward convergence in, in wages. And it didn't happen. I mean, uh, the, the initial competitive advantage for Mexico was precisely that it had lower wages than both Canada and Mexico. But unfortunately, they uh, kept that as uh, a permanent uh, strategy. And they did not allow... Uh, workers to freely unionize, to be to have democratic unions. There are many, many workers that don't even know that they have a, a union, and they do, but these are, you know, company unions that uh, um, only the, the bosses agree with, with with the employers to certain contracts that are completely disadvantageous to workers. So as a result, uh, you know, after almost 20 year, 25 years of NAFTA, Mexican workers are only getting a, a fraction of the wages of uh, those in Canada and the U.S. And overall, if you compare total income, uh, workers have actually lost out compared to the income portion that goes to capital and the income portion that, that goes to labor. In the three countries, there has been a loss. But the worst losers have actually been Mexican workers. So um, I'm, I'm very optimistic that uh, the new Secretary of uh, Labor that's being proposed uh, by Lopez Obrador is uh, a woman that comes from a, a long tradition of uh, labor lawyers, and you know, uh, I, I think uh, you know they're going to really liberalize the ability of workers to fight for their rights. So, I mean, higher wages cannot be just legislated. Mm-hmm. You know, and, they have to be fought for. Yeah. And you've articulated why I think there was a lot of pushback from AMLO earlier in his career when it comes to NAFTA, but he seems to have recently warmed up to it to a certain degree. Are concerns over NAFTA negotiations this summer, are those concerns a little bit overstated that there might be more conflict than people, or I should say there might actually be less conflict than people would go into it thinking at this point? I think there will actually be less conflict because uh, what AMLO would want more than anything is to develop Mexico's economy in the direction of an endogenous type of development. Endogenous means uh, a type of development whose dynamic comes from inside the economy. So uh, he realizes, however, that uh, these past 25 years have involved a tremendous degree of dependency from Mexico. And so, you know, the, the links with North America definitely cannot be severed. So uh, when asked uh, in an interview, you know, about NAFTA to respond in, in one word, you know, what about NAFTA? his response was necessary. So he sees it as as necessary, and yet he would like to lower the extent to which 
Mexico has become dependent on the United States in particular. Now, we were expecting when Donald Trump initiated uh, the renegotiation of NAFTA that we would perhaps see it before the Mexican election, then perhaps in that little window before the American midterms. And now we're obviously going to be shooting past that, perhaps into the period before the Canadian election, although we talked yesterday to someone who said that it looks like 2020 could be it. What do you think uh, his election does uh, in terms of the timetable now for reaching a new accommodation? Um, you mean Lopez Obrador's election? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah, I think uh, the, the latest that Donald Trump has said is that he does not want to finalize the the uh, renegotiation before the November elections in the United States. So, I mean, that theoretically would leave a very small window uh, between the November elections and uh, the assumption to power of Lopez Obrador, which is in December 1st. But I, uh, I, there's, there are too many factors in the air. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people hoping that uh, the um, uh, lower uh, house of, of Congress in the United States is going to be won by Democrats. Yeah. So that really changes the whole equation uh, about trade. I mean, you know, historically, Republicans have been more free traders than, than Democrats, but now everything is kind of upside down. So um, at, the very, at the very least, you know, Democrats would want to make a NAFTA work rather than just throw it out. I, I want to touch on something you brought up earlier, though. You, you brought up this need that AMLO sees for Mexico to have more self-sufficiency. And he's been pushing hard yeah. with regards to agriculture. And he yes. has suggested imposing floors on, say, corn, beans, other products like that. Is this going to pose a problem for Canada and the United States moving forward? Or could this work out to everybody's benefit? I think it will work out to everybody's benefit. I mean, there will be some sectors that are affected. Uh, in, I mean, the, the U.S. farm sector will likely be affected because See, what happened is uh, Mexican peasants were the main providers of uh, basic staples in Mexico. And basically all state support was withdrawn uh, even before NAFTA. I mean, uh, this whole thing started in the late 1980s with uh, unilateral liberalization of the Mexican economy. And so uh, I guess the Mexican technocrats thought that it would be a good idea to just import uh, subsidized uh, cheaper grain from the U.S. and uh, have uh, peasants go to the cities and and work in industry. And again, that played into their whole strategy of wages as as the competitive advantage of Mexico. And I mean, it worked out in that way exactly. But uh, Mexico has become very highly dependent on the importation of its main basic foods. And on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, a lot of those people were not absorbed by industry because it didn't really require that much labor. If you think about, you know, all these automobile companies or the parts companies, they're very highly automated. So, I mean, they do hire a lot of people, but much less than were made redundant in the countryside. And so, uh, 
And while a lot of fruits and vegetables have been exported from Mexico to Canada and the U.S., uh, those producers are not absorbing many laborers either. So uh, it was a, a very bad deal, you know, bidding uh, against the peasant economy. And so what AMLO wants to do is re regenerate the Mexican countryside mm-hmm. so that, uh, you know, farmers can stay with their families, can stay in their communities and uh, make a decent uh, living from, from agriculture. With an election uh, comes, of course, any uh, comes a big change in political dynamics. Anytime there's a change in government, uh, what would you say in the early going might be some of the signs we would expect in terms of the changed uh, Mexican-Canadian relationship, and then, of course, the uh, the larger uh, issue involving the North American alliances that we would uh, we would expect Mexican uh, change to uh, to effect here. Yes, uh, I would not expect any significant changes in the type of relationship that has uh, taken place between the Trudeau administration and uh, and the new administration. Um, on the contrary, I think uh, they have a, a series of, of common goals. Uh, for instance, uh, I think there will be much greater environmental or concern for the environment in Mexico and, and also concern for, for wages. So it is possible but that between Canada and Mexico, they could push for upgrading the side agreements uh, from 1994 in NAFTA, the uh, side agreements on labor and the environment. Maybe they, they could and should become chapters, you know, that are more enforceable. Okay. And that, that would help in the, in the whole endeavor of uh, raising uh, Mexican wages. Well, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch unfold over the next coming months, and uh, we'll we'll talk there's to you again. Fi- there's a five month period of transition in, in Mexico. Yeah, government. it's a huge, huge period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Canada, we've got what a six week election, and then we've got the uh, the pr- yeah. uh, prime minister designate sworn in uh, quite quickly. Yeah, so we it's... we get impatient. The morning after the elections <laughs> <Yeah>. down here. <laughs> so, but uh, it's going to be interesting to watch this all unfold over the coming five months. And Gerardo, uh, we'll be sure to reach out to you again. And I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. I'll be very happy to join you again whenever you want. Yep. Thank Excellent. You. That's Gerardo Ortero. He is a professor at the School for International Studies at Simon Fraser University. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. And make sure to tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave a review. Be sure also to find our stories in print and online at BIV.com. 